Hello and welcome to this special episode of British Culture, Albion Never Dies. There have been several special episodes recently, but of course we are living in momentous times. The sound you hear in the background is the sound of Queen Elizabeth II's funeral procession. I went down to watch the procession from the Mall. That's a long road that goes to Buckingham Palace. It's lined with trees and there's Green Park close by. And I was one of thousands and thousands of people who went. For me, I arrived around 8 o'clock in the morning, but many people had gone far earlier than that. People were not allowed to camp overnight, but many people simply walked around the park at night so they could stand and pay their respects to the late Queen Elizabeth II. So in this episode, I'm going to be talking about what's transpired here in the UK, what it was like and how the news broke for me and how it's been viewed locally to Bradford and West Yorkshire and what it was like to travel down. So starting with the day itself, 8th of September uh, 2022, a Thursday. Uh, I always remember it's a Thursday because I was packing up everything from the office because my office is closed on Fridays. So I was heading home. Throughout the afternoon, there was word getting out that members of the royal family were travelling to Balmoral where the Queen was staying and BBC news reporters did start to wear black ties preceding the official announcement uh, but watching the evening news 7pm we had the announcement of the passing of the late Queen from Balmoral and of course therefore the accession of King Charles there is no transition period the instant that she passed he became King we then had the announcement from the Prime Minister, Liz Truss, confirming that Charles would take the title King Charles III. Of course, he's been known as Prince Charles, the Prince of Wales, for a long time. Um, but nonetheless, there had been a debate over the last decade or more over whether he would actually use the name Charles, because of course, as a king, you can choose any name you like, he has many, and there were simply questions over whether he would use his princely name as his kingly name, but Liz Truss simply confirmed that he would. So there we have the announcement from Balmoral Castle, from the Prime Minister, on the 10th of September, 10am, we then have the official proclamation of accession. So we start off in Balmoral with the family, then on the 10th of September we have the state starting to recognise um, the transfer, the transfer of power, transition. So in attendance we had about 200 members of the Privy Council at St James's. Uh, the Privy Council is composed of, well, for example, former Prime Ministers, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the, the Good and the Great, and they proclaimed Charles King. We have Parliament swearing allegiance to the new king, and once you have it from the centre of political power, then it goes the whole country, city by city, I should probably add country by country, because of course Wales has its proclamation in English and Welsh, Scotland has its, uh, Northern Ireland has its, and indeed it continues on to British overseas territories such as Bermuda, the British Antarctic Territory, easily the largest and most southerly territory uh, that was made by Dr Jane Francis, the director there, uh, who's currently the Chancellor of the University of Leeds, having been the professor there previously. Uh, so we have this proclamation around the world, the Caymans, the Falklands, Gibraltar, the sovereign bases of Akrotiri and Decalia in Cyprus. 
which of course I know, lived there in Turkish Cyprus for seven years. Uh, Crown dependencies, for example, the Isle of Guernsey and the Isle of Man, it was made in English and Manx. And let's not forget Canada, of course, that proclamation had to be made in all provinces, uh, yes, some in French, Australia, nationally, and then state by state, New Zealand, uh, in English, and Maori, and of course Jamaica, the Bahamas. And as I say, it filters down from these national assemblies to the regional assemblies, city by city, including Bradford, which I, I recorded and broadcast in a previous episode, uh, Keithley, all over West Yorkshire. And so the word percolates down. Meanwhile, up in Scotland, uh, we had the Vigil of the Princes. Uh, so Queen Elizabeth lay in state in uh, St. Giles' Cathedral in Edinburgh, Scotland, where an estimated 33,000 filed past to pay their respects. Her four children kept vigil. Conventionally, it was the Vigil of the Princes. However, Princess Anne also kept vigil. This is uh, the first of a princess uh, Keeping, keeping vigil as well. The coffin uh, was taken to London by RAF, uh, an RAF C-17, which had been used extensively in humanitarian efforts, uh, for example, airlifting thousands from Afghanistan, uh, taking supplies to Ukraine, and about five million people tracked the plane on the uh, flight radar 24, causing it to crash. Um, interestingly, uh, it was plane Zulu Zulu 177, which upside down, of course, spells Liz. Very fitting. And then we have the Queen Lion State at Westminster Hall. So, Queen Lion State at the Palace of Westminster Parliament, um, with people queuing for generally between 9 and 14 hours to pay their respects. The queue opened Wednesday the 14th, it closed Monday the 19th, and its longest the wait was 24 hours, 10 miles long. I think everybody in the UK was talking about the queue. And in case you're wondering, yes, there were more than 500 portaloos, many shops and cultural centres open 24 hours a day to provide facilities. There was a special accessible queue and there were extra trains taking people from all over the United Kingdom to go and pay their respects. It's certainly unlike anything I have ever seen. Um, as I say, the queue was something that people were watching nationally. If you weren't in it, you were watching it. Um, I say I went down to the Mall, so I travelled down from from Yorkshire, um, arriving at the Mall at 8 a.m. And I have to say, what struck me was how brilliantly organised it all was. We had all forces on the street. We had you know, whether it's police, military police, um, soldiers from every service, um, every regiment. All the services were very, very well represented. Um, happened to be where I was going, it was almost all Gurkhas, <laughs> the, the Nepalese soldiers who, who fight for the British Army. Um, lots and lots of snaky cues, and I recently asked in a Facebook group, what is Britishness? And an awful lot of people said cues. Um, just to illustrate the point, I was once in a post office and there was a queue so long it went outside and then this started to rain a little bit and then quite a bit and then suddenly everyone just rushed inside and formed a perfect snaky queue with no guidance and no <laughs> oversight. Um, so I, I, I do feel there's a lot in it when people say that the British love to queue. Um, this, this, this was it. Um, and what 
I say, I, I went down to the mall. Uh, the queue had closed. I did talk to a lady who'd come all the way down from Scotland. She couldn't uh, attend uh, the, the lying state at St. Giles's, and so she had travelled down, uh, queued for, I think, nine hours, and she'd known in advance uh, that the doors might shut by the time she got there, and unfortunately they did, so she came along and joined to watch uh, the procession instead. She just spent the night at Green Park. Um, and as I say, people were there from all over the kingdom they were also there from all over the commonwealth and beyond I happened to be standing next to a gentleman uh, who was Swedish um, and I've, I've had since you know, views from Ghana um, for example the BBC had an article about a gentleman noticing the, the timeliness um, so the government did put out on its official notices well the schedule the route um, all aspects that you can expect and if it, it went like clockwork. Um, the gentleman from Ghana, writing for the BBC, also commented on the Brits. Emotional reserve, people apologising for uh, for a day of strong emotions when they saw just uh, a hint of a tear. Um, and again, the organisation. Um, in my own view, I say I, I could see I could see people from all over the UK, Commonwealth. Americans, Swede. It, it seemed to be a global a global event. But the number one group that was very well represented uh, were former servicemen. Um, so you could see it from, from the bearers, from the medals, sometimes just the way they walk. Uh, you could see a huge, huge number of people who had served the crown were going down to pay their respects. And there was a, a phenomenal showing from that contingent. We watched the procession pass. We saw the, the king uh, walking behind um, and of course his, his brothers and sister and for me it stood out to see you know, for example the Canadian Mounties um, members of the Canadian Mounted Police um, looking very striking getting quite the stir from the crowd um, to see officers from New Zealand in very distinctive um, very distinctive uniforms and again the Australians uh, distinctive hats <laughs> and again the services, the, the Royal Navy, uh, Royal Marines, uh, the British Army, and of course the RAF. Again, it, it's, I'm told it looked amazing on television, I haven't seen it back, but certainly in, in real life, it made an impression. I think I should be remembering this for some time. Probably the rest of my life. I have here, as you can probably hear from the rustling, the local the local newspaper, The Nation, Morning. I'm looking at um, the Telegraph and Argus and uh, the Keithley, Keithley Gazette, Keithley News. And here, of course, they have special supplements all about uh, the late Queen. I think one of the nicest segments is from the Keithley News, which has in her own words, of course, we are all very used to seeing the Queen's broadcast at Christmas. Um, and it's it's perhaps a little funny for many to think that she wasn't the one who started it. Um, her first message, Christmas message in 1952, she said, Each Christmas at this time, my father, my beloved father, broadcast a message to his people in all parts of the world. Today I'm doing this to you who are now my people. And in 57, the Queen's message was televised for the first time. It is inevitable that I should seem a rather remote figure to many of you, successor to the kings and queens of history. 
Someone whose face may be familiar in newspapers and films, but who never really touches your personal lives. But now, at least for a few minutes, I welcome you to the peace of my own home. I think that is wonderful. Uh, of course, every Christmas we can see the Queen's speech. It was once the King's speech, uh, but particularly because it's now televised, there's a great deal of significance, for example, in the, the pictures that are on her desk, the jewellery she wears, even the colour of the dress can be filled with significance to that year's events. She does not shy away from from the great topics of the day. Indeed, it's part of her role to include them. So, for example, in 2001, the year of the 9-11 terrorist attacks, um, she said, for many people all over the world, the year 20. Sorry, the year 2001 seems to have brought them more than their fair shares of trials and disasters. The terrorist outrages in the United States last September brought home to us the pain and grief of ordinary people the world over who find themselves innocently caught up in such evil. And she also addressed the floods in the UK and the, the foot and mouth epidemic. She talks about these things and then she brings them into her, her message of, of national unity and also Christian hope. She is the head of the Church of England, or was, and of course now King Charles is the head of the Church of England, and indeed the Church of Scotland. And this is a role that I feel in her Christmas message she very, very ably took forward. So this is, a, of course, a time to remember. We're looking back at 70 years of extraordinary service. When she first became Queen, her Prime Minister was Winston Churchill. And of course, Winston Churchill had served in the army when he first received his army commission. The Queen was Queen Victoria. And when Queen Victoria was born, the King was still George III. <laughs> so here we have the whole of American history, or I should say the history of the United States of America, in just three people. And for Queen Elizabeth II, she's, she's reigned for 30% of American history. So, especially for my American listeners, I feel that helps put into context what a life of service has been. But of course, in our own time, in our own country, um, Liz Trust was born in the reign of Queen Elizabeth, as was uh, Boris Johnson, Theresa May, and uh, I believe Tony Blair. I think it was just of the prime ministers of the 21st century. I think only Gordon Brown was born before she acceded uh, to the throne. It was a very different world when she became queen. Um, Mount Everest had not yet been climbed by the, uh, the New Zealander, oh, Edmund Hillary, and of course Deng Xinhoi. Um, so it's a very, very different world. So of course, naturally, with her passing, people look back. Um, but, you know, the uh, <laughs> like Janus, you know, the Greek god of time, Janus had two faces, one to face the past and one to face the future. So this time a lot of people are discussing what can we expect uh, from King Charles III. Naturally, um, Private Eye, the uh, satirical magazine, had to have the Q on their front page and Prince, well, King Charles going to meet uh, the people there, as as did the new Prince of Wales, uh, Prince William, um, and so as he as he shakes the hands, they put the speech bubble. As King Charles asks, "How long did you have to wait?" and, and the person in the queue replies, "Not as long as you." 
<laughs> already um, satirical magazines are having their fun as Private Eye has uh, throughout <laughs> well I don't know how long I think throughout the existence of Private Eye oh yes here we have as uh, King Charles signs his first official document they have a photograph inside uh, where <laughs> they have their speech bubble I hereby cancel my subscription to Private Eye ah. often over the years it's been one of the little in-jokes of Private Eye that they refer to the Queen as Brenda um, I think a fairly well-known joke Brenda was a a character on a comedy show who often, you know, in the countryside wore a big mac and a, a headscarf against the wind and uh, the Queen on her country estate wore something very similar so they did a side-by-side -side, and often referred to her as Brenda so as, as, you, as we went to the funeral uh, procession you could see across Green Park all the, all the floral tributes and uh, I can see here a photograph of a close-up of one of the floral tributes and someone's written on a card We'll never forget you, Brenda. With an X. <laughs> I think it's, um, I don't know, a sign of warmth and humour. Of course, uh, King Charles is famed for his uh, sense of humour. Uh, videos have been circulating of some of these some of these little highlights. Again, the ones that just catch my eyes when he's, when he's walking along shaking hands. Somebody demands a fist bump, so he happily gives it. And another <laughs> is walking along and somebody shouts, can we have a drink? Can we go for a pint? And he just stops and shouts, Where? <laughs> Before being taken along. <laughs> I think by his mind is on his way to official business. But of course, uh, King Charles has displayed a very serious side and it's uh, caused some consternation in the past when he's spoken out on, well, political, political issues. The environment, for example, he was one of the early people in the public eye to, to talk about the environment and the possible benefits uh, which then seemed quite esoteric of organic farming and seemed to pioneer that in uh, in some of his lands of course he has strong views on architecture on what I would say very live political issues he has generally kept quiet but he has written letters to ministers and under freedom of information um, some of this came out and he did talk about the military covenant um, this simple principle that if uh, a government sends our fellows to war they should provide all the support that they need and there had been a question uh, during the Iraq war whether that was being done and so uh, then Prince Charles took this up and wrote letters to uh, the ministers asking some very very pertinent questions making sure they were doing their duty as I say these were confidential letters which were revealed under freedom of information laws and took some time to get this out um, there had been a lot of questions before then of what kind of the word meddling was used what kind of meddling was going on I think when they came out people both appreciated what he was doing and also appreciated that he was doing this confidentially so as not to get well not to get in the way of business, not to get in the way of things actually being done. So as I say, he's. I feel, I feel a lot of people are are looking forward to this new, this new era of King Charles. But as I say, at the same time, laying to rest uh, a very beloved queen, and for many of us, well, most of us, the only, the only monarch we remember. I have talked to a few people who do remember, well, relearning. Um, relearning the new national anthem so we now sing God Save the King I've sung it a few times of course and uh, of course most of my life we've say, sung God Save the Queen there are those old enough to remember the last time it was uh, God Save the King 
And of course, people are making comparisons to the funeral uh, of Winston Churchill, those, again, who remember it. So as I say, this is the special episode for Queen Elizabeth II. There have been many, many different um, tributes and, and stories of her lives. What I think is really interesting is as people as people tell the story of Queen Elizabeth II, often they're relating it to, to what we knew and, and how our lives um, have changed. She is head of state. She is representative. So, as I say, it, we tie these things into, for example, Edmund Hillary climbing Mount Everest. Uh, we tie it into, you know, television coming into people's homes for the UK that was uh, you know lots of people got their TV for the first time because the coronation uh, was televised and so they could watch it in their own homes previously of course they'd been listening to it on the radio so we have seen huge changes technological changes um, over her reign of course she was uh, always very interested in technology herself and I think her perhaps her last great achievement was how she brought the country together during the pandemic, making making a speech, we'll meet again, um, which I think touched the hearts of many and succeeded in really uniting people. So I think uh, her ability to unite the country, her ability to get people around a table and cooperate, that is something that was very much admired, not just in the UK, but around the world. And I certainly have been very touched as I have an account, you know, social media accounts and so on that talk about British culture. Uh, many people did reach out to me and sent me wonderful, wonderful messages um, saying how much the Queen meant to them, whether they're in the UK or actually for the most part all around the world, whether the continent of Europe or whether in North America or, well, as I say, all over the world is something I very much appreciated. This will draw to a close here. Thank you very much for listening. Um, I hope you found it interesting, informative. As I say, there's many, many uh, articles and videos, and as I say, there's a, there's a lot of content all about this. Um, it is a very, very special time for the United Kingdom. Um, and I would say, actually, for the message I got for the world. So, thank you very much for listening. I shall leave you here as the procession finally starts to pass us, as I say, with the king walking behind.